0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor, and I want to join Michelle in saying how happy we are that you've come to spend this time with us this morning. Easter is our day of ultimate consolation. It tells us that even in seasons of sorrow, that delight is never completely a stranger to us, because Christ is risen. So, because it's a day of delight, Just for fun, I thought I'd share an image from my social media feed that tickled me. (laughs) Yeah. He is risen. (laughs) If you are a celebrator of the Christmas season in December, it is in that season that we ponder the mystery of God's humility. We sing of how it is that God comes veiled in flesh. But the page turns when we come to Easter. We are entered into an encounter with the majesty of God, his power unveiled to us to let us know that there is no power in our world greater than the power and the presence of our God. Reflecting on the majesty of the risen Christ. Pastor John Ortberg, from just up the road, said these words well. He said that Jesus is the hinge of history. He is the hope of the oppressed, the inspiration of the dying. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the greatest teacher who ever lived, the greatest mind that ever thought. He sparked the greatest movement that ever spread. He offered to us the greatest gift ever given. He alone mastered life. He alone conquered death. He alone overcame sin. He alone grows more present with every passing year. He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the victorious risen King. Can you say amen? amen? And because Christ is exalted, and because Christ is present everywhere we are, we are people in every season who are never without hope. There's a man named Frederick Beekner who was a Presbyterian pastor in the last century. More concisely than John Ortberg, he simply said, the resurrection of Jesus means that the worst thing is never the last thing. These are words of good news indeed. And so for all of us who in the course of this season have life, have experienced things that feel like the worst thing that could possibly be for us, the presence of the risen Christ assures us that while it feels terrible, it is not the end because of the resurrection of Christ. This is our good news. And yet it can be strangely hard to hold on to the gifts of Easter. If you're an old person, and you watch that comedy Seinfeld, George Costanza talked about the shower that did not take. You remember that? He's like, he gets all sweaty, and if he takes his shower too soon, he's just sweaty again. The shower did not take. Didn't make any difference in his life. It's possible for Easter to not take in our lives? We get dressed up, have a big meal, celebrate with friends. But does it really make a lasting difference in the world in which we live? Our real problems, the things that plague our hearts and minds. There's a lot of things that we know really do change our world. In our context, we talk these days a lot about how artificial intelligence, AI, how that will change our world. I actually asked ChatGPT just the other day what jobs will go away because of artificial intelligence. And the chatbot told me that it's likely that software coding and medical diagnosis and tax preparation, all these kinds of things are in all likelihood going to go away. Our world will change because of artificial intelligence. Even homework may go away. Can all the kids say amen? (laughs) Amen. But does the resurrection of Jesus change our world and change our lives like that? Or is it just kind of a nice idea that we drag out when we're feeling a little low? If we struggle with that question, we are not alone. There is every evidence in the gospel stories that Jesus' young disciples who had been with Jesus for three years struggled with the exact same question. In John chapter 20 and verse 8, it says that the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their house." I can't think of a less impressive telling of the story. (laughs) This disciple reached the tomb and saw and believed, sort of, he believed, but he didn't quite understand what the implications were and then they all went back home yeah, as if they needed a nap after all the intensity that they had been through. But as the living Christ moved amongst his people, he changed their hearts. He changed their perspective. He changed the essence of their being. And then through them, he changed the world. And as the living Christ moved amongst his people over the decades whole aspects of human culture began to be eliminated, just like aspects of our world that artificial intelligence will eliminate. We think about what went on in the Colosseum, the practice of the gladiatorial events, how it is that the ancient Romans uh, experienced as entertainment, the basic torture of people. But that practice would go away in large part because followers of Jesus said that this is not consistent with the God who loves people or the practice of infanticide, the casting aside of unwanted children who a father of the family did not deem to be worthy to live. This was a common practice in the ancient world. And this practice, so common in ancient culture, would come to an end in large part because followers of Jesus knew that the living Christ was in their midst. Or think about the practice of treating people as property, both women and slaves. That practice did not end abruptly, of course, but the trajectory towards the end of those institutions was set in motion by the presence of the living Christ. The presence of the living Christ changed the world dramatically Because individual Christians were changed in their affections, in their convictions, in their courage, in what it was that they wanted to live for and what it was that they were willing to die for. And the question that we should ponder today is, how might the living Lord want to meet us? What gift might he want to impart to you today? and what change in our world might we participate in as we are convinced in our inner being that he is with us i want to make some reflections on the scripture that kind of lead us in that direction but before we go to some headier ideas i simply wanted to hear you give you the opportunity to hear from a member of our community if you were here on march 26 you heard uh, chris smiley one of our part-time staff uh, give a message about the hope of the gospel, Uh, because he has so much to say. When we were preparing for it, he just said, like, that's just like the tiniest little first half of the chapter of my life. So Chris, come on up. And um, I've asked Chris just to say a few more words about what it's been like to live as a person who's experienced multiple bouts of cancer, to uh, experience radiation at age three, and what it means then for him to find hope in the presence of Christ. Give him a round of applause.
1: Thanks, Pastor. Good morning. Happy Easter. <coughs> so, yeah. Um, every day I wake up and uh, face a very difficult situation with my body. Um, I don't wanna, I can't spend too much time ex- going into all the details, but it's, it's kind of like I wake up and I, and I find myself um, living in a city of ruins. And, like, my body is a city of ruins. And um, I'm just sort of occupying it and making the best of the situation. And um, when I look at the resurrection, what is the hope and what is the joy of the resurrection for me when I'm kind of, I wake up in this state of disrepair. And um, I shared earlier this morning, too, of like, you know, I've been single for the last year and a half and I'm um, on dating apps and not a great experience, especially if you're dealing with struggling with insecurities and you wake up and you're wanting to reject yourself. Um, but when I, read, when I read the gospel, when I read the resurrection story, um, I mean, the, the, the hope for me is that there's some purpose, that, this, that there's some meaning behind my suffering, that, it, that, uh, that it's important to happen and that it can be redeemed. And um, in the resurrection story, I see that Jesus' suffering is redeemed. And not only that, but I see that um, the wounds on, on Jesus' body he he's wounded. Um, there's it's almost like his suffering is part of his wholeness, and the same thing with me. Like there's something about my brokenness being part of my wholeness, and when I look at the resurrection story, I'm invited to touch God's wounds, to enter into the story and see that Jesus is wounded, and it to touches wounds just like the disciple Thomas touched his wounds, and God touches my wounds, and there's something beautiful in that exchange in that story. Um, there's hope. There's joy. Um, And there's something about um, the triumph of life over suffering um, that I'm invited into when I express faith and worship and uh, reach out to God in the midst of of that suffering. Um, I'm I'm exercising faith that that life triumphs and that Jesus' life triumphs in my life.
0: Chris is a person whose heart is open to the presence of the living Christ. I'd encourage you to take him out for coffee, ask him any question you might have. But I also want to unfold a little bit of the life perspective of a person in the Bible whose heart also was open to the presence of the living Christ. We know him as a man named Paul. He's uh, the church's most prominent leader, wrote much of the New Testament. He had been a violent enemy of the church early in his career, but he became its most passionate advocate, so much so that late in his life, there were tremendous parallels between his life and the life of Jesus. Like Jesus, he was unjustly imprisoned. Like Jesus, he would die a martyr's death, attacked by Jewish and Roman leaders alike. And like Jesus, in a time of extraordinary suffering, in a time of extraordinary duress, he was stunningly settled, calm on the inside, always someone with a gift to offer others. From his prison cell, awaiting the possibility of his death, he wrote a letter to friends in a city called Philippi, in which he wanted to encourage them with words about the secret of contentment. Can you imagine that? Someone suffering in prison, encouraging his free friends about the secret of contentment. What is it that accounted for Paul's contentment, his courage, his enduring sense of purpose in life? Well, he would say the presence of the resurrected Christ. Listen to these words in Philippians 3, verse 10. He said, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Now, he talks about the resurrection at the beginning and end of these sentences, Let me address them in reverse order. At the end of these verses, Paul speaks about the resurrection as a future event. He talks about attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Because of the presence of the living Christ, Paul's inner GPS was oriented towards this future hope that he describes. He speaks here of the ancient Jewish belief in the resurrection of every human body, not just the body of Jesus and not just our individual bodies. The ancient Jews believed that the unjust would be raised up to be held accountable for every evil deed, that we all will be raised up to be held accountable for every unkind word that we speak. And in addition to those things, the ancient Jews believed that the good deeds done by righteous men and women would be remembered, celebrated, and sung about in eternity such that the righteous themselves would shine like stars in the universe. universe. That's the image in Daniel chapter 12 in the Old Testament. Our lives shining like bright lights. Paul's hope is to get to that moment, to attain to the resurrection of the dead, not just to arrive there, but to arrive there in a certain way, to stand without shame, without regret for the things that he did or did not do. And he anticipated that something mysterious would happen to his physical being in that moment in Philippians 3.20. He says, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Paul here is saying that God doesn't just remember us, but he so loves us that he's going to reach into whatever one must reach into to restore the entirety of of the human person. If you're on social media, you may know that I lost my father recently, and so I feel connected to this idea that my father's warmth is connected to his smile, his compassion is connected to his physical strength, the way in which he carried people who were weak. This text is saying that God will not let his people go. He doesn't merely have faint memories of us. He will do everything that needs to be done to restore us completely. Now, this belief in the resurrection of the body, the statement of God's power and great love for us, It is unique in all the world's religions. If you know me, you know that I have great admiration for all kinds of wisdom that we can gain from the world's religions, but we should acknowledge the differences as well, and this would be the most central difference that we should acknowledge. There is only one religion that speaks of a God who so cherishes the human person that he restores the whole human person. It's only Christians who believe in the resurrection of the body. And throughout human history, the promise of the resurrection of the body has always inspired inspired extraordinary hope and courage for God's people. The promise of the resurrection of the body has inspired hope for people who labor for justice. If you are concerned about matters of justice, in an information society you will have access to all kinds of things that just seem wrong in the world you and i will see images of people who seem like they were innocent and their lives have been stolen away and that can make the work of justice absolutely unbearable to us so sometimes we talk about compassion fatigue we just can't go on we need to know the promise of the resurrection of the body, that no matter what has happened to tender, vulnerable souls, no matter how far destroyed, God in love, passion, and compassion can restore. This is the nature of his love. The resurrection of the body tells us that evil men who have done terrible things will stand accountable. And therefore, we are free if you don't get the conviction, if you don't get the law passed, and it seems like evil people uh, thrive, the resurrection of the body tells us that it only seems that way for now and that God will have the last say. The resurrection of the body has inspired hope for all who suffer in our bodies. And many of us in these days know the suffering of cancer and dementia and arthritis and countless kinds of pain where it just seems like our insides don't work as well as we want them to work. We feel like we're falling behind in a world where everyone looks beauty in social media. The resurrection of the body tells us that in a fallen world we do experience pain, but that it will not be the last word about us. The God of glory intends to glorify your physical being. And this is a word of hope. And the resurrection of the body has been a source of inspiration for all who seek vocational purpose in a world of suffering. That God cares not just about our minds or our souls, but that he cares about our bodies has always meant that Christians have been on the forefront of caring for human bodies, I think about advancements in medical science. In every culture, there have always been healing practices, but so often, access to healing practices has only been available to elite people with a lot of money. And for 2,000 years, it has been followers of Jesus who sought to make medical care available to every person to treat patients who have diseases, like leprosy, with confidence in the Christian's heart that that person is not untouchable, that God cares about that person. Paul's hope was to attain the resurrection of the dead. And so he had courage and vision for a meaningful life. And this this hope for a future Changed everything about how Paul lived in the present. He said, In this life, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. These are dark words in some ways, but Paul is acknowledging here that the power of the resurrection. While real, and Paul experienced healings and liberation from prison, yet it was not a magic wand to him. Paul continued to suffer in this life. There's one mysterious passage in the book of 2 Corinthians where he talks about a thorn in the flesh. No one quite knows what it is, but we do know that it was troublesome to him, so much so that he pleaded with God on at least three different occasions that it be taken away And for reasons that God chose not to reveal, God did not remove that thorn. He simply said, my grace is sufficient for you. In another place in 2 Corinthians, Paul talked about what we would think of possibly as mental health challenges. He talked about his experience of despair in vivid terms. In 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, he talked about the sentence of death that he felt over him. And yet, even in Paul's suffering, he was not ultimately conquered or frustrated. He knew that it was not his destiny to be a Marvel hero. He did not want to be Iron Man with superhuman capacities. He did not aim to be Thor with superhuman strength. Knowing that his future was secure, he set his hope on one thing, Simply to become more and more like the Christ that he loved. So beautiful was that image, so capturing was it to his heart, so meaningful was it in his broken world that he simply said, Even in my sufferings, let me be like Christ. And he lived with confidence and hope that all of his labor, then, whether his labor in success or his labor in failure. He lived in confidence that God would raise it all up, that he would glorify his body and then glorify his work. Paul's life was absolutely transformed by the presence of the risen Christ. And the invitation for us today here is to drink of the stream that was Paul's hope, to open our hearts to the electricity of that power. Pastor Tim Keller, pastor in New York, said that if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. And that if he didn't rise from the dead, then why play with it at all? Why worry about any of the things he said? Tim Keller is saying, give Christ a chance. Wherever it is that you're coming from on your spiritual journey, Whatever challenge you are facing this day, open your heart wider to the presence of the one who lives. Brennan Manning, a former Catholic priest, said that for me, the most radical demand of the Christian faith lies summoning the courage to say yes to the present risenness of Jesus Christ. And that is my prayer for you on this day. On this day of celebration, in the midst of our busy Silicon Valley lives, that you would open your heart wider and find in the precise places of your darkness and struggle, hope that cannot be extinguished. Let's pray, and as I do, I want to invite the worship team to come. we open our hearts wide to you. All of the suffering that we know of and all of the suffering that we experience in our minds and in our bodies, we cannot handle on our own, and trying to handle it on our own wearies us. And so we say, have mercy, help us, and reveal your strength and your might to us. We pray these things in the strong, majestic name of Jesus.